Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. So you've done it. You've moved the loved ones into assisted living facility where they could receive some specialized care and attention. You visit often. They're settled in, well and happy, everything's fine. Until one day, something just isn't. Perhaps your mom likes tea, but they only serve coffee at breakfast. Or your friend is not getting the physical therapy granted to him or her by the VA. What can you do to resolve these problems, big and small? To answer just these questions, we've invited two guests to our show today. Lisa Hayes, Managing Local Ombudsman with the Houston-Galveston Area Agency on Aging, and Greg Shelley, Managing Local Ombudsman for Ares County. Lisa and Greg are here to share what your rights are as, as a resident in a long-term care facility, who to contact when you need help resolving an issue, and all the tips for making sure your loved ones are well and living their best life. Coming up on Prepare to Care. Lisa, Greg, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, so I have a hard time saying this word. What (laughs) in the world is an ombudsman? We're advocates for residents, and a lot of people have a hard time with uh, the word. So we always let residents and families know that uh, we are advocates for them, for the residents, and we work for them. Um, They're our clients, and we, the word actually means speak for those who cannot. Okay. And so we help give them more strength to their voice. So that sounds like a great job. That sounds like a really fulfilling <laughs> job. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing this seven years. Seven years and you, Greg? I've been doing just a little over eight. Over eight years. Okay. So you guys, like, how do people find out about you? Like, do, do you guys hang around, like, long-term care facility? You lurk in the shadows until somebody needs you? Or do people call you? Like, what, what's going on? We do lurk. We visit the facilities um, okay. on a regular basis um, because you're not going to tell a stranger that, you know, someone's not changing your brief. Right. Um, regularly. You're not going to – some of those are kind of personal things. So yeah. part of it's setting up a relationship, um, and sometimes it's um, – you know, people don't find out about us until there's a crisis. Yeah, getting the word out, the educational part of it is probably the biggest uphill battle, getting more people to be aware that the ombudsman's out there and it's a free service to them. Um, Like Harris County, for example, we have 100 nursing homes and 270-plus assisted living facilities we're responsible for. Right. So it does stretch us pretty thin, so we're very dependent on volunteers. So let me get this straight. Long-term care facilities or residential facilities have to, I guess, like register with the county, or you say you're responsible for them? Uh, for the state. And with then, the state. And then, um, like Houston, Galveston, we do the 12 surrounding counties. We're kind of a donut okay. around Harris County. And then we um, visit all the facilities. Um, so part of it is residents tell us about issues or families tell us about issues and part of it might be things that we also observe okay because they're licensed um, that falls under the ombudsman coverage which is part of the older Americans Act and one of the rights they gain by going into assisted living or nursing home is access to an ombudsman so I'm guessing I was completely unaware right I'm guessing lots of people are unaware about what you do yes it's, um, I think, a well-kept secret, but the program has been around. It started, I think, with Nixon's yeah. administration. Wow. 
um, but it's a very well kept secret. <laughs> and the word itself is a great conversation starter. Um, we even have volunteers and staff that still don't pronounce it correctly, but you know, <laughs> okay. that's okay. It's a great way to get the uh, conversation going, and, and one of the best parts of the whole program is the mandate to be confidential in conversations and that we only act with the resident's consent. So they can talk to us about anything they want. We give them advice, make sure they know all their options and their rights, and if they tell us they don't want us involved, then we have to get out of it. But uh, most of the time, they're just empowered from getting that kind of information from us. So I think that uh, as a family sometimes, I'm thinking, you know, like my, my mother-in-law, my, my father-in-law both ended up in, in, uh, in facilities. You kind of maybe hesitant as a family member. Maybe you see small things, but you're like, oh, what if they're going to get back at my loved one when I, if I complain? What, what would you say to people who think that? The fear of retaliation is, is, I think, one of our biggest barriers um, in helping people resolve things. And I think part of it is also letting them know that they, they have us and we're there to advocate for them. And we'll let them know, you know that if they feel there's any kind of retaliation, that, again, we can be there to support them. Um, because retaliation, retaliation doesn't usually happen in ways that you would think would be like openly aggressive. It might just be your call light's the last one to get answered. Right. Yeah, I like to say there's a thousand different forms of retaliation. Uh, the person who used to smile when they were serving you suddenly is a little more grumpy. Right. Um, but uh, the I think the best time when people can get a hold of us, we can be the most benefit. Um, it's not when they're already in one and they're having trouble, it's before they ever go. Right. So we can talk about techniques of getting empowering them with ways to get their best possible individualized care before they run into trouble. Because I'm guessing, okay, and maybe like I'm an optimistic person, but like, that a lot of people who work in long-term care facilities actually want to be good. Right. But yeah. maybe they, they didn't see something or they forgot something or they were not paying attention and then things could maybe escalate after that? I'd say our number one issue, um, the root of all of the issues I would say in the nursing homes is staffing. Okay. And part of the problem is Texas does not have a staffing ratio requirement. It just says sufficient staffing. Um, but if you have one aide taking care of 15 residents, you know, that's, that's a lot of people to get cleaned, um, to change, and to get meals to in a shift. Yeah. Um, you're being generous in some cases with the 1 to 15 <laughs> yes. that uh, a lot of time the pressure is even more on the individual. So they're set up in an environment where they're especially certified nursing assistants, they're doing the most direct care um, and taking the most grief for whatever the particular institution is doing. And a lot of times um, the lack of sufficient staffing to help them do their job contributes to another underlying systemic problem, staff turnover is I see. Unbelievable. So people who work in those facilities can sometimes get spread thin, is what I'm hearing. Oh, absolutely. And then yes. if you're spread thin and, and your patient is grumpy, then that, that doesn't help. There's stress and there's stuff going on. That's right. Mm -hmm. So as an ombudsman, what, what do you do? Like, do you, are you like negotiators? Like, do you go like and gently talk to the person? Because I'm thinking, okay, like I'm, I'm going to take the devil's side or whatever, but I'm like, I'm on this, you know, I have 15 patients, I'm grumpy, suddenly family's complaining, and, and I'm getting feedback, I'm not doing my job well. You know, how do you guys approach that? Um, well, again, we work at the direction of the resident, um, so if the resident wants us to complain about it and work on it, then um, we would 
um, depending on how the resident wants us to approach it, we can do it by talking to other residents if they don't want to be singled out. Yeah. And see if other residents are on that hall are also having issues getting their call light answered or services that they need because there's not enough staff. And then we'll take it to the leadership and let them know that, you know, that this was observed and we've heard it from several people. Um, or we could just do it all based off of one person's complaint if they, they feel strong enough that they, they're willing to stand up. So our strongest authority comes from the right to investigate complaints on behalf of the residents. Right. And with their consent which, and direction. So that's a little different that we want to do, we want to inform them of all their options give them informed consent, and then they tell us which direction they want to go, and we, we do that. Now, just because we have that authority to visit and um, investigate those complaints, yep. does that mean we're going to snap our fingers and people are just going to fix things for us? No. So we, we talk about patience, persistence, and persuasion being like three big tools, not just for us, but for family members and for residents and trying to – and I say we're problem solvers first and foremost. Right. But if somebody's still not cooperating, all we can do is the same thing consumers can, and that's help support and coordinate the regulatory response if necessary. I see. But we also encourage families, we encourage them to, to speak up because it is the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And, the and that was going to be my, let's speak <laughs> about the squeaky wheel, right? We've heard it on the show before. Um, what you know if the family notices something what's the right balance between a little squeaking and lots of squeaking where it becomes counterproductive what have you seen um that's where i think it's great to involve the ombudsman is um we can help them come up with solutions help brainstorm on possible ideas um sometimes it's really just important maybe something's not happening and we hear a lot of times, well, I told them, and I might ask, well, who was them? Just because someone's in a scrub doesn't mean they have the authority to change anything. Right. Um, so it's sometimes just talking to them how, how to best navigate advocating for it's the a, loved ones. always the correct thing. A lot of folks don't come in. They come in and they don't know to whom they should speak about even some I basic see. issues. And figuring out the right person, is it the social worker they should speak to or is it a situation where they really need to speak to the, the manager or administrator? And we encourage the um, use of family councils to get collective voices for the families in the facilities as well. That's a strong suit for them. So it's not just the facility. What I'm hearing is you know a whole system around it, too, so that you can refer the person to the right uh, channel to get their things resolved. And often what's lost in, I mean, when you talk about institutional care, we, right. we want it to be as resident-directed, as resident-centered as possible. Um, we want to get away from that concept so you can't put 100 people into a building and treat them all the same because they all have different histories and they respond to things differently. They want different courses of action um, and because they're unique human beings and that gets lost sometimes in the institution. So and let me ask you another question here and hopefully you will lay my fear, right? Because my fear is, oh my God, you know, you put somebody in these facilities and we all think, oh, it's going to be terrible, right? So on, on the vast spectrum of, of issues, you know, how, what percentage do you think are like terrible issues and what percentage are like normal and can be resolved what, based on what you see? Um, it varies by, by facility. Really? And what we recommend, of course, is, you know, they can call us and because we visit regularly, um, we kind of know how a per certain facility might be currently running. Okay. Because it kind of really comes down to staffing. Um, so if people visit a facility. Um, they should probably go at shift change, the weekends or the evening. That's usually when we get most complaints about staffing. Okay. 
um, and they can see, you know, how many people are there for the residents, and are they actually working? So not just number of people, but are they actually working? Do you see the director of nurses walking the floor? Do they see the administrator out on the floor, or do they spend all their time in their office? That's a huge. It is huge, seeing the places in person. Unfortunately, a lot of folks haven't done any planning, and their first experience is somebody coming from a hospital, and they gotta get somebody in somewhere today. Okay. But it's so important to know who's, one, who's running the place at any given time, because any 100 plus bed Medicaid nursing home is gonna have similar challenges, but that person who's running it at any given time can mitigate some of those challenges that other people are having. On the other hand, if someone's not well-meaning and they're in a place like that, they can make it much worse. But a lot of it really does come down to the individual experience. I've seen facilities I walk into, and if, if it was left up to me by opinion, I have a lot of the issues with it. But we have to focus on what the residents do, and some of them will tell you they've been living there for years and they love it because it probably comes down to the relationships they've built with their caregivers. Interesting. So I noticed how like you guys are not giving me any numbers, right? But you're like, hey, Marie Pierre, really pay attention to where you're going, and it actually gets very personal, right? It's quite a spectrum of, of yeah. care on both the nursing home side and assisted living. Really? And assisted living is very consumer-driven because there's so many options if you've got money. Yeah, it comes down to price. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes to price. Yeah, I'm yeah. guessing, right? I mean, if you have lots of money, then you'll go to a facility that has a bigger budget, and maybe there's a, a staff ratio that's like, I don't know, 8 to 1 instead of 15 to 1, right? Yes. Um, if you don't have as much money, I guess you need to be a bit more careful. And that's where, in nursing homes anyway, they're very similar because a large amount of most of them is funded under Medicaid. I see. Um, so they're working, each of them are working with the same amount of dollars Per resident um, it just depends on how well they they manage that part of it yeah so outside of this show right I, I mm-hmm. appear to seem bubbly but I'm actually a shy person right <laughs> the idea that I'm gonna walk in a facility on a weekend it's like can I do that can yes. I can I show up unannounced am I gonna be let in um, how, how do I get about doing this as a as a caregiver yeah, you can go in, and you can even, of course, you know, they always have the marketing person who wants to speak to you. Okay. But you can go in and um, at any time and go in and view the, the facility um, and, you know, just kind of see, like, especially at shift change, does it smell? Okay. Um, that's always a big indicator, um, as well as number of staff. Um, another big thing to uh, look at is activities. Okay. Because activities, you have to, um, especially if you're putting someone in a facility for dementia care, um, activities is shown to be the most effective at mi- mitigating behavior problems. But it's also a huge quality of life issue. And if you see activities that you're like, my loved one would not do this, or this does not seem to be on their ability level, um, then maybe that's not the facility for them. Yeah, we kind of joke because there's a lot of uh, newer facilities that are really beautiful looking. And uh, we say don't fall in love with the lobby. It's really important to talk to the people who live there. And oddly enough, when people visit, sometimes they forget to talk to the residents about what their perceptions are. So you could, like, sit down and maybe strike a conversation with someone? We, that's what we do regularly. I think somebody coming in for the first time, there's no harm. And if you're getting a tour and asking to speak with the residents, it's just like it's their 
they're public domain and they'd be happy to talk to you most maybe of you can mm -hmm. slip in the lobby and talk to people <laughs> and the residents have the right to have anybody visit anytime they want so huh so when you go in a place like that i've only gone like where it was legitimate right because i had a loved one there but let's say you know we've been doing the research and whatever can you actually go into the lobby and talk to people unannounced or you have to generally talk to a marketing person you can go into the lobby and, and speak with residents, you okay. know, and of course, if they want to speak to you. Um, and there's always residents sitting in the lobby or around the nurses' station. Um, so it's you a can good maybe interview people. Yeah, yeah, and, and just ask them how long they've been there. And When you think about how much money you're spending as a consumer in any of the places, you certainly would want to be demanding about wanting to speak to the activities director and get to know the social worker and see all these people that are involved in the care. You know, it's funny you say that because for me, I'm like, oh no, we were so panicked that we were happy to find a place. We don't think of ourselves as consumers sometimes. Right. You know, we think, oh, you're doing us a favor, so we're going to be like really nice to you and hope you take care of mom or dad and, and we're not going to make too many waves. One thing I'd love to mention on that line is that folks who have the Medicare skilled nursing benefit when they're coming from a hospital, that every facility. Uh, in Harris County and pretty much everyone in the surrounding mm -hmm. counties takes that benefit so the consumer has tons of options about where they want to go and the facilities love having those folks come in because it's the big money part of the industry. Yeah. When you're discharged from a hospital mm -hmm. and then Medicare covers you for, like is it like it's for a period of time, right? It's a hundred days. It's a hundred days. Uh, if you're on traditional Medicare, if you're on an Advantage plan it could be less. But it's usually a hundred days. But it so, is a higher pay rate than Medicaid. So, so that's the time to shop. Yes, basically, and, and they'll really like we'll wall the red carpet for you. Yes. So, um, so you say you go there, make sure like things smell fairly good, right? <laughs> Check the food, I guess, if you can. Talk to people, mm -hmm. activities, right? And then, okay, if people need to get in touch with you, like how do they find out about you? Uh, they can call um, our office. Our general office number is seven one three nine nine three. Four five zero seven. Okay, seven one three nine nine three four five zero seven. Yes, and that's for the counties outside of Harris County. So we okay. go from Walker to Montgomery to Chambers, Liberty, Brazoria, Galveston, Wharton, Austin, Fort and Bend. Colorado. What? Like you can spend your life on the road? <laughs> well, I used to when I worked with them, and I had Fort Bend and Waller. But yeah. in Harris County, uh, we're. Uh, 713-500-9931. Repeat that. 713-500-9931. All right. Um, we have a fair amount of driving, as Houstonians know, but most of it's uh, sitting in traffic instead of running around. <laughs> so is it like you guys have, like, you're assigned, like, a number of places? I'm guessing people yes. at those places know you, too, the folks who work there? Yes, and sometimes they might ask, you know, um, who the ombudsman is, and sometimes the residents will be like, oh, I don't know. And then you're like, oh, ask them if they know who Greg is. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, Greg. Greg and Lisa, <laughs> they'll fix your life for it's, you, right? That's, again, the problem with the word um, right. ombudsman. And fortunately, we have tons of volunteers huh. that make weekly or uh, basically weekly trips to their assigned nursing homes. So usually they're the face of the program, fortunately. And we always need more. So yes. wait, tell me more about that. <laughs> volunteers? Like, how many volunteers do you guys have? Uh, we have about 40 volunteers with our program. and They have Harris a different County. challenge because of the geography that they cover. That you need people In all Harris around. In Harris County, the, um, right now, well, this year we put 85 volunteers through, and I think we have 65 total actively visiting. 
And wow. we have 100 nursing homes, though, so we have a need for more. So if people want to volunteer, that's something they're passionate about. They go to the Houston, where do they go? You tell me. They just find either program. Uh, we'd always get them to the right uh, program, depending on which county they're going to volunteer. Right. But here in Texas, it's a 36-hour internship over the course of a minimum 90 days. Okay. There's a couple classroom trainings, multiple in-person staff trainings at the facilities, and then lots of independent study they have to complete before they can become a certified ombudsman. Okay. And, and a background check. That's oh, right. wow. So background check, there's a certification. It takes 36 hours of, of training and independent study combined. And then That's there's right. like, there's an exam at the end or what? Well, no, we, we do we visits. We don't stress them too <laughs> much. <laughs> we don't stress them, right? Yeah, but we, we do visits with them. To um, make sure they, they know their job. Right. Yeah, because it also can be an intimidating um, at first. But then I say well, they do some visits with us and... We'll show them, you know, then we're always there to support our volunteers. They do have to demonstrate competency before. It's Lisa and I in these counties that would sign off on their certification. Before then, passing it on to our state ombudsman, Patty Ducaye, who um, gives the final approval. Wow, okay. And then as an ombudsman, they, they're assigned like certain areas or certain homes that they go visit, right? Yeah, they usually just go to one facility. We have a few volunteers that go to more than one but they usually go to one facility, um, and the residents um, miss them when they go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they become well-known. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Well, Lisa, Greg, that's about all the time we have today, but before we go, if you have one last piece of advice for caregivers who are listening today, what would that be? Lisa. Um, for them to know that they, they have rights um, and that there are regulations. Um, because they do realize that residents in nursing homes are still adults. Okay. And Go I ahead. say call us because all of our conversations are confidential regardless of the source that comes through. So we get concerns from staff, caregivers, family, residents, and you name it. Okay. So you guys hear it. Call them. You have rights. Lisa, repeat that number again for you. 713-993-4507. And that's for people outside Harris County? Yes, but if they call us, we will get them to the right one. Okay, and Greg, what's your number? 713-500-9931. And I would like to mention that we're housed in UT, or the Sizzic UT, I better get it right, uh, Sizzic School of Nursing at UT Health. Okay, perfect. Thank you to both of you today. Thank you very much. So today we heard from Lisa Hayes and Greg Shelley, who manage long-term care resident ombudsman program in Harris and surrounding counties. Again, thanks again, Lisa and Greg. Thank you, Thank you. so much. As always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. I'm going to repeat, it's www.aarp.org slash HoustonPTC. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey, help us improve future episodes, or find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for caring.